So this morning we are going to be continuing on in our series that we started a few weeks ago called Lost and Found. <coughs> we're in the third part of our series this morning. And so we're looking at seven different attitudes, actions, values, or beliefs that are missing or misunderstood within the church today. And then we're looking at scripture to figure out how we can find it and restore it in our lives today. So the first two actions, attitudes, values, or beliefs that we looked at over the first two weeks, uh, the first one we looked at was suffering. How sometimes suffering is a part of our faith. Right? And we don't like to hear about that. We don't like to hear about the fact that, you know what? Sometimes as part of our faith, suffering can be a part of it. And we looked at through the book of 1 Peter, and how it talked about Jesus set the example that, you know what? Suffering is sometimes a part of our faith. And we looked at that, and especially in the Western church in America today, we, we don't really have a whole lot of an idea of what it means to suffer for our faith. But sometimes that's part of our faith. And last week, we looked at how we have lost our smile. Many times as believers, we've lost our smile. But what does scripture say? It says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord always. And we talked about this idea of Restoring our smile, learning to be joyful in who we are in the Lord. And so we talked about this concept again of our home is not here. Our home is where? Our home is in heaven, right? And that's where we have to keep that internal perspective. And that helps us to remember to smile. I kind of touched on this a little bit last week, and we're getting closer as we get into September here. But political scene is always interesting, right? People get angry. They get real angry. I'm not sure if there's a time where as a country we can get more divided than during political season. Talk radio, television commentators, fictitious forwards all fan the flames of fear and anger when it comes to the political season. People always ask me a lot of questions as a pastor, and I kind of said this last week too, right? People say, Pastor Micah, who are you going to vote for? And I never give an answer. Who should I vote for? I never give an answer. Is the church going to survive? Yes, the church is going to survive political season. In just a moment, I'm going to dive into a longer, more spiritual, scriptural answer. But first, let me give you a short answer. Don't freak out. <laughs> right? Don't go crazy. It seems like a lot of people today have lost their sanity. And today, that's what we're going to talk about. People have lost their sanity. How do we find our sanity again? That's what we're going to talk about. It seems people have lost their sanity. People are going crazy. Why? Because they're giving in to fear and believing some of the most ridiculous things ever. People are giving in to fear and have begun to believe some of the most ridiculous things ever. Don't lose your sanity, right? The sky isn't falling, regardless of who is elected. God is still God. God is not shaking nor quaking, and he's not wondering what is going to happen next. Let me remind you, the church has survived far worse things. I'll give you a recap. In Rome, Christians were burned at the stake by Nero to light his parties. Roman emperors, like, and excuse me as I butcher some of these names that are coming up in a moment, 
Diocletian tortured and killed tens of thousands of believers. In Madagascar in the 1820s, Queen Rana Vinosa issued an edict that Christianity was punishable by death. Thousands died. In Cuba, Fidel Castro led a campaign of persecution, saying all followers of Jesus were weak. In Russia, communists were murdered. Communists murdered Christians, excuse me. The state outlawed Christianity, and the Iron Curtain shut out the church. In 1966, Chairman Mao summoned 11 million <coughs> student members of the Red Guard to Tiananmen Square, giving them instructions to fan across China and wipe out all Christians. In every one of those places, you know what happened? The church survived. Every single one of those places. And actually, you know what? In fact, it didn't just survive. The church thrived and it grew in face of the persecution. After 2,000 years and countless attempts to destroy it, the Church of Jesus Christ is still strong and growing and thriving. The kingdom of God has not been and will never be weakened. We are still here. We serve a God who is always everywhere. He is bigger, stronger, and mighty than any politician or political party. No law can stop the power of God. Whoever occupies the Oval Office will not have more power than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. So this morning I want to say again, relax. We need to quit going crazy because God is still God. He always has been and always will be. So now, the balance point. There are plenty of reasons for us to be concerned about the direction of our nation. I understand that. There are reasons for us to be concerned. I don't stand here saying there's nothing for us to be concerned about this morning. Right? Racial tension is high. People fear a race war. Since abortion became legal in 1973, there have been more than 61 million abortions in our country as of 2018. The United States leads the world in producing <coughs> pornography. One website last year said that there were more than 4 billion, 4.3 billion with a B, hours of pornography viewed on their one website. Millions of Americans are addic addicted to prescription painkillers. Police officers are being targeted in the streets. That must stop. I'm grateful for the men and women who faithfully serve and protect us every day. I have a brother who does that. They need our support, our love, and our prayers. Last year, the Pew Research Center reported that the number of Christians in America is going down while the number of atheists and agnostics is going up. I didn't even start reading the statistics on suicide, debt, alcoholism, or political corruption in our country. It's discouraging. America needs our help. So what is the answer? What do we do? Does the church stand by and watch as America slides down the slippery slope into hell? Do we start a political party of our own? Do we picket and petition? What do we do? When a nation has lost its spiritual glory, what should be the response of the church? In the Old Testament, we find an example in the nation of Israel. 
It was on a spiritual and political roller coaster that seemed to be on an endless cycle of ups and downs. The nation lost the war and the people were taken captive. In response, they cried out to God. They burned their idols and they declared, we will only serve one God, the Lord our Creator. God heard their prayers and He responded. A time of peace and prosperity followed. God's blessings again then followed. But then the people got comfortable. They took their blessings for granted. And then you know what happened? <coughs> Morality became. Sexual sin increased. Idol worship began to return. And the worship of the one true God faded away once again. Every time they turned away from God, Israel was then defeated by their enemies and taken captive by another nation. Persecuted and oppressed, once again they returned to God and pleaded for His mercy, and God would respond to them. Peace and prosperity would return, and once again they would take God's blessings for granted, and they would start the cycle over and over and over again. Sexual sin, moral decay, spiritual decline, political corruption, selfish, immoral leaders. Any of that sound familiar today? Enter in King Solomon. People gave sacrificially as Solomon built this elaborate temple to honor the Lord. The dedication of the temple was an amazing outpouring of worship and celebration. Solomon prayed, officially dedicating the temple, and in that prayer, we're going to read this. He prayed these words in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, starting with verse 22. It'll be on the screen behind. It says this, When your people pray, or when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back and confess your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to them and their fathers. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when the, they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. So in this prayer, Solomon, he attributes the challenges Israel continually faced to God's disobedient people. He said the challenges we keep facing is because we are being disobedient as God's people. He acknowledges that. He says it's our fault for being disobedient followers of God. I love this, though. This is God's response if we flip to the next chapter in chapter 17, or chapter 7, sorry. God appears to Solomon in response, and said this in chapter 7 and verse 12. He said, I have heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, and send a plague among my people. I'm going to pause there for a moment. It's important to note, he says here, God's people. God's People, he says, in this passage, were being judged. 
You can't use this passage as an argument against people who don't know God. He's specifically talking about people who know who God is in this passage when he's talking about the judgment that's coming down on the Israelites. This passage is directed at God's people, not those who have no relationship with God and don't know who he is. God said to Solomon, when my people stray from me and forget to put their trust in me, when things deteriorate to the point that my hand of blessing is removed, this is what I want you to know, and this is what I want you to do. Now in verse 14, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning focusing on this one verse and breaking it down. Many of you know this verse and maybe have it even memorized. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's it. That was the answer for Israel then. And I believe that is God's answer for America today. That should be the response of the church in the face of the crisis that we face today. This is it. How will we see if the real lasting change take place in America? Right there. If my people, my people referring to God's people, the church, who are called by my name, the name of God, will humble themselves, pray, seek his face, turn from their wicked ways. Then he will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. So I want us to slow down and we're going to break this verse down into sections. As I said, some of you have heard this and maybe even quoted this hundreds of times in your life before. That's not an exaggeration for some of you, I'm sure. I want you to not only know this verse, I want you to understand it, and I want you to embrace this verse. The goal is for our land to ultimately be healed. That is God's pattern. This is God's pattern for this to happen. So the first part is, if my people who are called by my name, that's the first part we're going to look at. That's us. Believers, followers of Jesus. And right there at the very beginning of is the struggle, us. Right? We want to say the problem isn't us. The problem isn't the church. The problem isn't the believers. The problem is everybody else. Right? We make it an us versus them issue right off the bat. That's the problem. Right? That's the challenge we make it. It's, it's, it's us versus them in our country today. But in this passage, that's not what God is saying. He's saying if my people, if the believers who are called by my name. God isn't speaking to the unbelievers, to the sinners. He's speaking to his people who have a relationship with him. He's speaking to the church. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I want to tell you, God's plan to heal America starts with you. It starts with us. If we want to see a turnaround in America, it begins with us. It always fascinates me when people elevate their political opinion above God's word. You can't do that, right? God's answer may not be what you want to hear, 
Sometimes it's even controversial. This isn't a popular answer, but it's the right answer. Why? Because it's God's answer. It starts with us. It starts with looking at the man in the mirror, as Michael Jackson would say. Right? If you want to see change, it starts with looking at yourself before looking at anybody else. Second part, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Will humble themselves. Wait a second. Humble ourselves. The word used here for humble means to stop arrogant, self-focused, sinful behavior and approach God in repentance humble, in repentance with a humble attitude. What does that look like? What does that look like? First, to humble ourselves, we must acknowledge, I don't have all the answers. That's the first part of humbling ourselves, saying, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. Right? It's arrogant to think that we know how to fix all of the problems. Right? The only answer to suicide is the hope that can be found in Jesus. The answer to addiction is the freedom that only he can bring. The answer to discouragement and depression and fear is Jesus. The answer to racial tension in America is Jesus. We must stand together, Christians of every single background, race, and color, because the love of Jesus which unites us all is more powerful than anything that can ever attempt to divide us. The church is diverse. The body of Christ is diverse. We are not to give in to prejudice, anger, violence, or fear, but to continue to love each other as brothers and sisters created by God in His image. For every soul matters to God. The answer is Jesus. Second, to humble ourselves means to worship Him. Worship acknowledges all authority and power belongs to Him. Worship acknowledges our Creator God has answers not as humble creation. When you lift your hands or bow your knees to God, you are humbling yourself. It's an act of humility. It starts by humbling ourselves in worship. By saying, we give ourselves to our mighty God in worship, the God who we serve. Right? I almost thought about us pausing right here and just having a worship song right in the middle of our message and saying, it starts with worship, humbling ourselves in worship. Getting to the next point, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Pray and seek my face. Not only are we to humble ourselves, but pray and seek my face. Remember, the end of the verse, the end of this verse is, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. God's formula for you in America. God's answer is for you and me to pray. Seems simple, doesn't it? Prayer. But for some reason, it's often the last thing that we want to do. It's pray. We seek answers through politics instead of prayer. If we can just elect the right people and enact the right laws, then America will be healed. When you really think about it, that actually doesn't make sense. What plagues America is not actually a political problem, it's a spiritual problem. 
What makes you think a political answer will solve all the spiritual problems we have? Let me ask you this. If we elect someone as president who believes exactly as we believe, and every official, federal, state, and local believer, or local level, all believe just like we do, will that solve every problem we have here in America? No, it won't. Imagine that we had all the right laws enacted, from zoning laws to tax code to immigration policies to crime bills, exactly the way we think they ought to be. Would that usher in the kingdom of God? Would the hearts of parents turn towards their children? Would all marriages be models of faithful love? Would greed and pride be legislated out of existence? Would that solve the problems of sexual immorality and addiction? Would prejudice, racism, and irrational anger disappear as a result? Of course not. Because no human system has the ability to change the human heart. It's a spiritual issue we're dealing with. It's a spiritual battle we're facing. If politics aren't the answer, then maybe it's petitions and picketing. Maybe we need to picket every place and person who's guilty of sin and petition everything we can think of. Would that solve it? Would that heal our land? Of course not. No human system has the ability to change the human heart. Jeremiah 17.5 says this, This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. We try lots of answers. Anger emails, politics, picketing, petitions, anger, intimidation. We try all these things instead of prayer. I want to encourage you this morning, though, before you send that next anger email, listen to me very closely. I'm for believers in politics. Yes. At every level. I want our students to aspire for leadership in every segment of our society. Yes. I look forward to one of our students becoming the mayor of Chiswick, or one day becoming the governor of our state, or a senator, or even the president of our great country. And when you get there, please don't forget me. Yes. 